Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We also welcome back our friend, Games Beats King of PC Games, <laughs> Rowan Kaiser. Close. I'm, I'm the director of PC culture. What? Outstanding. <laughs> director of PC culture? No, I am the PC guest post editor. Oh, okay. All right. But Rob... You almost had me there. For we're, we're doing a bit, I think. Or Rob just never remembers. You can't, you can't just lampshade it like that, Rowan. Come on, work with me. I, well, I honestly don't know if he never remembers, so... Uh, and we also welcome, <laughs> welcome uh, Design Director at Obsidian, Josh Sawyer. Greetings. And today we're going to be discussing Battle Brothers, or Battle Bros, as I think I was calling it for weeks before I actually learned its proper name. So you're not, you're not alone on this, Rowan. Uh, oh, I, I, just, I sort of hand-wave everything. I, I just think Battle Bros is a better name. It really it flows. It's a, it's, a, it's a good name. So Battle Brothers is a uh, small business management sim about <laughs> a medieval mercenary company in a <laughs> fantasy world. And it really checks a whole lot of buttons uh, for, for me for me personally. Uh, I was telling this I was telling my roommate about this uh, th- this morning, and he sort of dropped what he was doing, and he was like, "Wait, you're telling me it's like Mech Warrior Mercenaries, but XCOM?" And I was like, "Yeah, in so many words, <laughs> sure." Uh, and I haven't seen him since that conversation. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of what what Battle Brothers is, but. Um, so, Rowan, you, you kind of, I think you were the first evangelist uh, for, for this game. Why don't you talk us through in a little more detail uh, what, battle, what elements Battle Brothers is mixing and what you think is sort of the most salient aspect of, uh, of this design? My, my, my comparison is I call it Darkland's Dungeon. Okay. Uh, I don't know how many listeners have played the Microprose Classic from 1994, I think, Darklands, which was Is that a- the 30 Years War game? Yeah, well, it, it it sort of is. It's in medieval Renaissance Germany. I don't know if it gets into the Thirty Years' War, but it's sort of a religious apocalypse, low fantasy, where you've got, like, you your character... It's really much more of a person sim, where your characters are, like, regular people that you slowly build into being great uh, RPG characters and they age and retire and so on and it was a totally busted game but it had so many great ideas that I've sort of been I, I've sort of been enjoying Battle Brothers as that idea that this sort of medieval low fantasy Germany where you're taking regular people has been made kind of accessible and actually fun to play um, it's very XCOM like uh, Darkest Dungeon it's sort of managing a procedurally generated crew who goes on quests, makes more money, uses the money to progress, gets harder quests, and so on. Um, and it's got a fairly simple but reasonably effective tactical combat system attached to it, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And uh, it's really well balanced in terms of progression, which I think is the main thing that I enjoy about it. You say well balanced. I would say delicately or even cruelly uh balanced i I think for me one of the first things that leaps out at me about leaps out at me about this game is that uh personally i found it 
Not as it wasn't necessarily one of those games where every encounter you're, you're you're sort of saving before you go in. You have to save scum your way through the game. But uh, I found it sort of had a, a a stepped difficulty. Is sort of my experience with it. As there, there was certain like there was sort of a weight class of mission that I could pretty comfortably execute, and then getting every time I had to sort of like tear up into uh, you know different enemy types. I started to really, really struggle, and it was also very. When things go wrong in this game, they can go. Very, they can go wrong uh, very, very swiftly, and uh, so I just wanted to get. Like, am I? Am I basically a, a weakling here? Am I? Am I the? Am I the weakest uh, ba- battle brother, or is this? <laughs> is this a tough ass uh, tactics game? Well, I, I think that I think that you're right. That it is a delicate balance. Um, the, but I guess for me, it's that. It rarely feels, um, when you lose, it rarely feels like bullshit. It rarely feels like you don't understand what happened. Um, I feel like each time you lose, it's a, there's a pretty clear lesson that you can take from it and then apply again, assuming you're not playing on Iron Man or something like that. Um, but the skulls, the skulls aren't always indicative of absolute difficulty, but they do a pretty good job of gauging relative difficulty. So... If you are, you know, just starting out and you're like, you know what, I think I can do a two skull mission right now. You're wrong. Um, and, and you're gonna, you're gonna get stomped, which, um, and there, there, when you progress, like you feel a very, uh, there's a very good sense of progression, both in your individual crew members, in the overall size of your crew, in your equipment, um, in your tactical mastery, the more elements you start to get at your disposal, the more you start to learn how those things can interact uh, in very complex, uh, ways. Um, you know, like Rowan said, it's the, the tactical sort of layer is not inherently complicated. It's actually pretty straightforward, but there's a good amount of depth to it. Um, and uh, one thing that I really like about it is, especially when it comes to the weapons, and this is something that a lot of role-playing games don't do well, is that it really feels to me, there might be some exceptions that I'm missing, but every weapon type really feels like it has a purpose and a function and an application. Um, and so when you go into a fight, you know, a lot of times I'll wind up thinking like, oh, I really should have had flails equipped for this, or like, I really should have, or should have these guys on the side with spears or, oh man, this is really something where I need pole arms. Um, and, and it really makes a significant difference just because their moves are so fundamentally different from each other. Uh, and the way that the enemy behaviors work, which is really another thing that a, a lot of RPGs, um, kind of fall down on is that really the tactical tools at your disposal, you, they, you kind of have to be provoked into using them by the enemy's behavior. If the enemy's behavior doesn't really demand that you you know, use the right tools for the job, then it's never really going to have a lot of tactical depth. But I think Battle Brothers does that really well. I should note that I only play this on Iron Man. Whenever I play the you know, normal save scummy version, I just didn't have any fun. But as soon as I put it on Iron really? Man, you know, I'd, lose a, I'd lose a weekend. Wow, um, you you truly are uh, the commissar of PC gaming over, <laughs> over there. Oh, I'm not uh, good. Well, I've I mean, gotten if... I've gotten into like the mid game like two or three times, and maybe close to the end game once. But uh, I I just have a whole lot more fun with this game on an Iron Man mode as opposed to an XCOM, which we've talked a bunch about uh, how built around save scumming it is. Well, I started like seven games this weekend, and I never got a single character above level four. Does that count as Iron Manning? I mean, you keep getting if you, party wow. wiped. 
if you quit when you uh when you lose badly then yeah it kind of does well, I did enjoy. I did enjoy uh, that Troy was was on Twitter this morning, and the message I woke up to was um, another Battle Brothers run ends in disgrace. Uh, I thought disgrace was a, was an interesting word choice for for your relationship with battle with Battle Brothers. Yeah, it's you know it's 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 a kingdom of bad decisions. Um, is what it comes down to. Either uh, bringing the wrong party, uh, equipping the wrong party, or having too too little money, not planning all that well, not having the right weapons combination. Um, you know, starting well, I really need that sixth body. So you grab the sixth body, but you don't really bring a second archer, which is really what I kind of needed. Uh, not having enough spearmen for the direwolves. I was tipped off. Hey, you know what? Direwolves are coming, bring spearmen. Of course, because they're idiots. Uh, so there's just a lot of you know, bad choices. When I played it uh, earlier this year, I got a little bit further. Uh, well, it's not a whole lot of saves coming, because I'm not a save scum type of person anymore, though I used to be, except for XCOM. Uh, but it is a it is a, a game that um, the it's it, it's it's weird. I want to talk about the the opening, the very opening of the game. You're dropped in media res. You're dropped in the middle of a battle, hunting down some bandit named Hogwarts or something, and you after you. You're a party of five, two of your guys get killed, you're stuck with your three starting party members, great. What you get for, from loot out of that first battle can be anything from, I found, a single hat to a mother load of treasure. And that first starting point can really change how far you get into the game in quite dramatic ways. So that's a bit of a roguelike aspect to this that I thought was quite unusual and quite fun. Uh, but also makes me very angry when I do get the single hat from that first drop. Uh, loot drops in the early game are quite important. Um, and I think that's one reason why it can be quite brutal to get through those first uh, three, four levels, because you'll fight a battle and you'll get a couple of fangs and no one will pay any more than, you know, 15 bucks for them. And... The, so you're scraping by with, you know, the, the, the grave digger. you got to recruit the grave digger instead of, you know, the deserter soldier. Um, and that can affect uh, what happens. So this is a, it's a quite brutal uh, game. If you played an Iron Man row, I mean, you're a better man than I am. I, we already... I lose a lot. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. This is not... Oh, yeah. I do, it's not I succeed at Iron Man. It's that I just think Iron Man is a more fun way to play this game. I think mm -hmm. it is balanced for that in a way that... Some of these others are not. I'll say that, uh, I mean, I, I talked uh, a little bit to the devs about some of the design decisions because I was just curious about what was actually driving certain choices. And they, you know, they said straight up, yeah, a lot of these things are really intended to be more, more roguelike aspects. Um, it is really kind of designed around a fair amount of randomization um, that kind of like you, you sometimes it uh it goes really well in your favor and sometimes it goes really badly i think one of the things like i'll admit that one thing that i save scum is every time i'm going to fight someone in a swamp i will save scum <laughs> the shit out of that because the if your group starts out in the water and the enemy group starts out on land it's such an enormous uh shift in difficulty mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool, bye. And I just <laughs> retreat and reload. Um, so certain certain elements have a modest effect and other elements can really have a huge impact um, on how even a single battle will go. Well, it's interesting. So 
I want to talk a little bit about the swamps, actually, because I think it, like it's an interesting terrain set that captures a lot of what I do enjoy about this tactical system. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a turn based uh, you know hex. Uh, hexagonal uh, tactical game, uh, hex hex grid uh, tactical game, and superficially maybe it looks a little bit like um, Heroes of Might and Magic or uh, King's Bounty, something like that. But there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more mechanical depth and sophistication to the way this this battlefield works, and the swamps actually show that off to to really good effect because like uh, so there are different like different tiles have different effects in the swamps like moving through the swampy water i think uh extracts a fatigue toll uh on your on your troops which basically like fatigue is what powers a lot of the abilities and so if as 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 soldiers you burn through their fatigue limit uh they start losing the ability to uh use some of their more advanced uh you know powers or even just attack twice Pardon? Even just attacking twice. Normally they can attack twice if yeah. they're not moving. Um, and uh, when you get fatigued later on in a battle, uh, you can only attack once. And when you get stuck in like a long-term battle when this is going on, you realize, oh, I really should have built up this character's... I don't remember exactly which the, what the stat is, but whatever the fatigue is associated with. So, yeah. Stamina or something. But yeah. So, so just moving through like the waterlogged tiles in a swamp, you're starting to get fatigue penalties. And then I think if you're just standing in the deep water, you're also much more vulnerable to both ranged and melee attacks. Uh, so that basically, like a fight in the swamp, everyone's going to be taking uh, more hits. And the other thing is that some of the tiles also have like uh, sort of a misty haze over them. So like there's unique concealment in the swap maps that basically like you can have uh, you, you basically have like troops stashed in these uh, concealed tiles and have them sort of come out of nowhere. Uh, and then there's also like soft marshy or peaty ground uh, that basically is like. Uh, that, that's solid gold. That's the high ground uh, on, on a swamp map that you can move around. Uh, people are uh, people aren't getting fatigue penalties. People can just operate normally, and they're not extra exposed to uh, to uh, to damage. And yeah, when you start in the in the water, and they've got the sort of uh, the, the sort of uh, soft turf that they that they're standing on. Um, yeah, you if you charge, if you if you advance on those positions, that's going to be like a very ugly pickets charge type scenario. One of the sort of things that surprised me is how big these maps are though. Uh and there are some it, it does sort of feel like in some cases the game is encouraging you to you take that initial setup and the two sides are are lined up on opposite sides of the battlefield. Uh but there's nothing stopping you from just sort of walking away and finding like a different patch of battlefield, uh which is is pretty wild like it, it's not like this this really constrained uh you know battlefield it's it's a little roomy but yeah with with sort of when you start a tactical battle sometimes it behooves you to not like 
look at the gap between yourself, your army and the enemy army as like the battlefield, it's much, much bigger. And it's kind of crazy how battles like, it, it's cool. Like Rowan, we were talking about Gettysburg, the tide turns, sort of trying to find the terrain of the battle and like what the shape of the battle will be. And what surprises me is that in Battle Brothers, sometimes that shape ends up being very, very different from what the initial like map location looks like. It, it, the AI is pretty good at finding the simple things. Like normally it goes for the high ground. Um, and if it's playing an intelligent uh, uh, race or whatever, like the humans will go for the high ground, the dire wolves and the like beastie vampire things will just charge ahead. But because of that, you go for the high ground and now the AI kind of goes around you, tries to get out of it from a different direction. Uh, and it, it ends up, creating these interesting little tactical decisions where sometimes you're chasing archers across the map on one end while you're, you know, in like a shield wall slog on the other. And uh, it, it, despite the simplicity, it, it maintains a consistent uh, novelty might not be the right word, but consistent not quite being the same all the time. I guess novelty would be. Variety. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I think that I think that the AI they do a really good job of of making the AI different in simple and very fundamental ways. So, you know, the undead, actually I shouldn't say all the undead, but like the Beaterganger, the the sort of zombie stand-ins, mm -hmm. those guys will just plow in like, you know, you can set up a bunch of guys with spear walls and they'll just jump right into them. Um, the orcs can also have a tendency to do that. But then with bandits, if you get a group of bandits where they have a bunch of archers and then they have uh, melee or, um, brigands in front of them, those guys won't advance. Like they'll they'll just hang back because why would they? Like they're going to have their archers just pelt you to death. Um, and then you'll have things like goblins where the goblin riders will uh, really do a good job. of. They move incredibly fast and they'll actually circle the battlefield to try to flank you. And it really screws your combat lineup, and they'll they'll go for your most uh, vulnerable people really fast. And none of these things are like insanely complex behaviors, but they do a really good job of distinguishing the different enemy types. And you really do have to think differently about how you deal with them. The goblins are usually what messes me up on the Iron Man. Once I start getting into those little bastards, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so when I when I decided that I was done with the Iron Man experiment, uh, was a mission where I had to go recover a, uh, who cares? About it? I was recovering a MacGuffin, <laughs> uh, whatever. It was some, some village relic and I had to go and into a forest and find these bandits, blah, blah, blah. Uh, except the bandits were actually working for a necromancer. Oh God, those guys. And this was the first time I encountered this and I was like, necromancer, huh? Oh, I don't see any zombies. Like what a weird group this must be. Uh, I guess it's, I guess the rant, I guess it procked no zombies in the necromancer group. What a what a goof game! Uh, and so I start like I set up battle line, and the bandits come in, and they're actually weirdly squishy for a two skull mission. I was like like my archers start plinking a couple of them down in like one shot, and I was like this is going really great. Um, and then like turn two or turn three, uh, the necromancer starts doing the necromancer thing and starts like rezzing. Uh, the zombies and really quickly the math of the battle starts to turn against me because uh, I'm pretty sure my own guys were getting rezzed as well 
uh, as they started to fall, uh, the necromancer was 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 rezzing them as well. And so what I realized, like I needed to get my archers the hell out of there and into the in, into the necromancer's face and, and pick him off. Um, and so I became like I got my heart set on that, and I just didn't know how this game worked. Uh, one of the one of the things the necromancer does is possess certain undead, and they've got a little um, marionette icon over their head and so i was like okay yeah yeah they're all uh they're they're all sort of the 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 puppets of the necromancer i'm sure once i kill the necromancer uh they'll all die uh and and then this so and and then this will be over so i like i'm just gonna forget about this battle we're all gonna sprint down there and take out the necro and it's gonna be cool we're gonna be fine uh obviously like necro goes down and there's still a shit ton of zombies wandering around, uh, and they're really meaty, um, and they don't panic. Uh, that's the that's the other thing you sort of get used to is that you, you you fight the humanoid enemies, and they have like morale, and they will they will eventually like sort of stop fighting and and start just trying to get the hell out, which is really helpful. They don't, they do not fight to the death. Um, the it. The battle dynamics change quite a bit when you're facing those enemies that can't be broken, that you literally just have to kill them. Um, because then it's not like you sort of whittle them down and they start to come apart and the fight gets easier uh, as it turns in your favor. Like, the zombies just will fight basically un- until the end. Uh, so anyway, like, my entire my entire company basically got uh, got eaten in a forest uh, by, by the undead. And I was like, you know, that was... That was a that was a swift reversal of fortune, and I think if I'd known how this game worked, I wouldn't have made those mistakes. I think I, this is not an Iron Man game for me right now. I need to figure out how these systems are operating, and uh, and and try it again. But I will say, I still dread necromancer battles, like just on a on a deep level. That that thing scares the hell out of me. Yeah, you you have to basically do a wide flanking maneuver around to get to the necromancer and as with all the undead battles you have to have your troops not be squishy if they're squishy they die they come back um so you want to have an elite small crew who also don't get fatigued which is different from a lot of the other battles yeah like the brigands it's good to have like a giant mass of rabble attacking them um unless you unless you have, lose too much rabble and your characters start running away but um the the early part of the game sort of encourages you encourages you to just get a big ass company and then you start running into enemies who actually take the idea of you having a big company filled with weak mercenaries flips it on its head and says no this is actually going to harm you to have this um the orcs will just tear through them the uh um, vampire things will get stronger when they eat the corpses. Oh god, that scared the hell out of me too. That like there, that's another cool thing about this game as you play it. There's so many unexpected things. Um, it, it sort of feels like it's a strategy game that is slowly working its way through the uh, the the monsters compendium, as it were. And so like each time you encounter these battles, it, you're like, oh, I wonder how this is gonna go. Oh, th- this seems weirdly straightforward. And then the twist comes, and that's always really cool. Did you get to goblins and orcs at all, Rob? Uh, orcs, yeah, it didn't go well. <laughs> um, 
they, they just like encounter encounter the orcs too early. They just went through me like paper. Um, did not have the did not have the tanks needed to take on the orcs. I think. So, so this is sort of where the progression system, I think, starts to really work well. Um, is that it's combined pretty much equally with your equipment and your character levels. Mm-hmm. So when you are able to take on orcs is basically when you start getting into the chainmail era. You start out with light cloth, move into leather pretty quickly, then you get to chain, then you get to plate. If you don't have most of your front liners in chain by the time you're taking on orcs, which are just giant, strong things. These aren't like Tolkien's swarming things. They're the, the Urukai. Um, there are also goblins who are the kind of swarming Tolkienist, Tolkien-like things. Um, so you need to get to the point where your characters are in chain and they have the abilities of like level four, level five, where they're able to start not just you know, banging on whatever uh, with their generic attacks, but they actually have, you know, the ability to just take out enemies very quickly or dodge enemy attacks, whatever. All of these, all of these higher level things. So you kind of, when it starts going wrong, is if you don't have the right equipment or you don't have the right characters, because it's like, oh, I lost my best tank here. But I still have all his stuff because I won the battle. I'll be fine. I put it on the next character. He can't move. Like he's he's so fatigued that he can't. There's yeah, it it's almost totally useless. Yeah. Um. So there's there's a really interesting balance of as soon as any part of that fairly linear combined progression starts to break, uh, you have to figure out if you can even possibly take a step back and try to rebuild or if you're perhaps just on a death spiral and you don't know it yet. So, Josh, you mentioned the uh, the weapon, the, the way weapons work in this game, and, and one thing that's cool about this is it's not like a lot of traditional RPGs where characters are skilled in a specific weapon, but it's more like they're skilled with different classes. And what weapons you bring onto the battlefield like sort of determine what those characters are going to be capable of no, I'm curious. Uh, for you, like, did was was swapping? Was were you sort of equipping your soldiers for each specific fight, uh, or did you have like like standard like like flexible setups that you preferred to to use and stick with? I'm, I'm just curious. Like, to what degree were you microwing uh, equipment uh, selection? Yeah, I think that there's a couple things. One is that. There's a point around, like, I think fourth or fifth level where you get access to the, essentially the specialization perks. Um, mm-hmm. And that let you focus in one one weapon uh, and gives you some benefit with it. So I, I tend to, I would tend to make sure I had a couple of, like, I had someone who was good with pole arms. I had someone who was good with swords. I had someone who was good with flails. So I had people who were, good in those roles and what i did find is that based on the fight i would move those characters around in the lineup um sort of based on where i expected the enemies to kind of be coming from or or kind of what the vibe of like their approach would be so in a lot of cases i'll have spear characters every other slot um just so that they can have full coverage so there's not a not a hex that uh, the enemy can advance into that they're not going to be able to cover um 
But then I have some characters where if we're fighting auxiliaries, then to hell with spears. Like everyone, everyone's got to get flails out and other things out or things to destroy shields, um, especially things to destroy shields. Um, so I did find that I, I still was having characters specialized in things. So I had good broad coverage and people still kind of had their roles, but the enemy and battle composition would often drive me to make people abandon their specializations in favor of the weapons that were really the most well-suited to the terrain or the enemies or whatever the, the case might've been. Uh, like one thing is that spears, spear walls are really good, but they can also be extremely fatiguing. So depending on the fight and like, if you're in the swamp or something, you might not want to do that. Um, yeah. So there's, there's really like a lot of decisions I think that, that can go into whether or not you switch the positions of characters or switch out their gears or, or, or their gear, or if you change, um, or if you just want to build another character to sort of like double up on a roll or something like that. So I really did like, and I still do like the way that the weapon system um, allows you to specialize, but it really does motivate you to um, treat the battle as the thing that determines the weapons that you're, you should really use. I like the way spears are treated in this game, especially because early in the game, when you're fighting primarily weak human opponents, just loading up on spears because they're easy to use. They hit a lot and um, they're not very fatiguing. It seems like, oh, these are the best weapons in the game. I have to, you know, if I get five guys with spears and one with a couple with pole arms behind them, I could just tear through all these brigands. And this is true. Uh, but as soon as you start running into enemies that do anything else, the spears start becoming a liability because they don't have the ability to break down shields. They don't puncture armor very well. Um, they're just really good for going through soft targets. So it's good to like build up one spearman early on, but then you see if, if you stick with him as only using spears, um, then you see him quickly surpassed by the people who go into swords or, uh, various other weapons which is i think a pretty neat kind of simulation of medieval combat in a game that's not like obviously out here for realism or whatever but uh i i really do like that that i think i think battle brothers has um it does a lot of stuff where it's not like there are a lot of games a lot of role-playing games i've seen where they're like okay we're gonna we're gonna be a simulation and they do the simulation through the most like sort of clunky byzantine mathy way that you can possibly do it um and it winds up feeling very like clumsy and unclear and one thing i really like about battle brothers is yeah they're not really trying to be historical historical but you do see that some simple mechanics sort of wind up making um certain weapon types feel like yeah this is this is why this weapon would have been used and these are circumstances where you wouldn't really use this weapon um and it does it for the most part in ways that are really pretty simple. And you, like you said, like swords for a long time, I'm like swords, Ugh. like the way that they felt at the beginning of the game, I'm like, ah, these seem really crappy. And it's only later that I'm like, Oh, swords. <laughs> like now that my guys are, are kind of skilled, like these are starting to feel really good. And, and you're right. The spears, which started out feeling really good for a bunch of newbies, uh, they really fall off. So there's a lot of stuff in the game that I feel does a good job of that. The build, using shield walls for your peasants, shield walls and spears. It's just like, here's my rabble. Well, but, 
this feels like a game with formations and and that but there's not like a formation mechanic right and that's that's the nifty thing that that I enjoy here is that it feels a bit like total warish where you like where are you setting that 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 shield wall like that that spear wall uh so we we referred to this a lot actually this is this is actually a really key early game uh ability cuz it's it's awesome uh, there, there's shield wall, which, which buffs armor, uh, for, for, uh, allies in the vicinity of the, uh, shielded, uh, spearmen, but there's, there's spear wall. So spear carriers can create a spear wall, uh, where anyone who enters their zone of control gets an auto attack against them and is, uh, I think throw like, I think is always thrown out of the hex. I've never seen somebody not get thrown out. What you end up doing is... Uh, it can be really powerful if you're fighting enemies who are dumb enough to walk into that spear wall because, yeah, they will just, like, walk into that threat. It's like, um, it's like Sideshow Bob in the, uh, in the rake, uh, field where they will just, like, keep walking in and keep getting thwacked in the face and they'll take another step. Uh, and so I had a battle where I was, uh, getting attacked by, uh, some ancient undead, uh, who were very heavily armored and... Uh, they were these skeleton warriors, and they were actually shrugging off a lot of piercing weapons, which would have been real a real problem. Except they also didn't seem to realize that like spear wall uh, would would stop them from uh, entering uh, my, my zone of control, and so they just kind of like kept walking into these traps and getting carved up by the uh, by the spearmen. Later, even as spears started to lose their effectiveness, though. I still found the uh, the the spear wall ability useful to control space because there's a lot of enemy types who will avoid that yeah. who will just avoid it entirely, and so what I started doing was my spearmen became like almost like blockers while I was reori- reorienting my forces. Uh, so if I needed to like change positions on the battlefield, for instance, if there was like a necromancer that I needed to sort of do a flank run around. I was using those spearmen to sort of like hold the line and let my forces reposition behind them uh, while keeping the enemy at bay. And the entire thing, the, the dance of units, uh, the, the, way it, the way these units sort of maneuver and the way their weapons uh, interact with each other really does make this feel like uh, a game of medieval warfare and not necessarily just like a tactical RPG in the tradition of like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons first. I think one thing that helps is that none of your characters, like it's so focused on the melee. Well, I shouldn't say it's so focused on the weapon combat. Like that's what it's about. Whereas, you know, when I make a game, typically I'm making typical fantasy bullshit where there's like wizards and stuff, like you're playing wizards. So we have to put all this effort into how does the magic system work and how does this work and how does that work in battle brothers? It's a bunch of dudes with melee and ranged weapons and that's it. And so there's a huge focus on that. And that's what I think allows it to really shine is because that's really the focus of the tactical combat. Like I remember when I first started, I just kept thinking, do I get AOE attacks? Do I get AOE attacks? No. I mean, there, there are a couple that can kind of hit, there are a couple that can kind of hit multiple things, but I don't like get bombs I can throw in the middle of those um, seven zombies around a hex. So it's a uh, it it really refocuses on like just what the capabilities are. It's a bit like turn-based myth without the dwarves. 
uh, is is maybe the way I'd put it, uh, which is a meaningful analogy to some of you, but not everyone. Uh, anyway, um, you've been kind of quiet. Oh, I'm just listening to all the wisdom coming through. Um, I mean, it's Trey's it help. I, I, I suck. No, uh, there's a there's a lot that I want to give a parrot or echo, and I think the big thing is. A lot of games like this, they would be designed and they would say, now is the deployment phase. And you deploy your troops in the line you want them to be in. And that's where you would have your positioning. That's where you would have your formation. Here you can pretty much you can choose your weapons before the battle, but you don't know where you're actually going to end up. So you have this momentary, that first turn, you decide, do I like where I am? Do I make do with this broken ground I'm going to be on? Because if you're in a forest or a swamp, you're not going to get a neat fancy little line to play with. You're going to have to deal with, you know, stumps and bushes and line of sight problems and height issues. Do I go for the high ground? Do I look for some place away from the high ground since he's going to get to it first, etc. Uh, so there's this, this, there's that first turn you'd look at the map, you'll like a captain, like a general, thinking, okay, this is what I've got. What do I do with it? Um, and that's kind of a fun thing to see. I mean, I, at, at first I kind of hated the fact there was no deployment phase. Like, you know, I should be able to know, I should be able to put my people where they're supposed to be. Um, even if I'm surprised, you know, I should at least say, oh, Archer, you stay in the back and find a hill to stand on. Instead of, you go up front, you'll be fine. Those orcs cannot hurt you at all. Uh, but you don't get that. You get this uh, scramble of, I mean, do I have, where, where are my spears? Where's my axeman? Because the axe, if you have a two-handed axe, he can do one of those, you know, I hit everything around me uh, type attacks, which is great until you realize that one of your own dudes is standing right beside him and you cut his head off. And I'm really, really sorry that happened uh, to Mr. The, Mr. the one animation in the game is the head flying off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't mean for it to happen, but, you know. <laughs> Shouldn't have been standing there. Uh, so you, you, can, you can hurt your own dudes, uh, which is kind of nice. Uh, and I also want to follow up on the whole training thing, because there is this anticipatory part of the game where if you're not paying a whole lot of attention, you will see, you'll find yourself encountering things that prove bigger and bigger problems for you. Uh, better armor. For, for certainly more people in armor. Uh, and then, you know, people with more people with shields. And these start to cause more and more problems for you. So you have to train yourself into thinking, okay, what, how do I solve this problem? Um, the brigands are now thugs, and they're more thugs with captains instead of just a bunch of losers in Robin Hood costumes. Uh, so there's this whole training yourself to analyze your opponent and think what skills you need and what kind of specialists should you have on your team. And it's really a nice kind of special feeling to, to have that anticipatory training, to be, to be developing your squad, to be a bunch of specialists, people who are good at things, instead of just, you know, clicking up the numbers. You can add, you have like eight stats and you can improve, like I think three of them each time they level up. And, you know, some guys, you might just want them to have a, a, a whole lot of endurance because they're going to be your people with the heaviest weapons and the heaviest armor. So, you know, the fact that you can maybe neglect their defense against ranged weapons because you're going to be putting them in big armor anyway, which are going to hold that stuff off. So there's this whole leveling up specialization as you work into the heavier grade equipment. 
uh, that I really, really enjoy and I don't see too often in either RPGs or in uh, strategy tactical games like compared to the XCOM games, which are you know outstanding, outstanding tactical strategy games. But the leveling up paths are just, what's, what magic power do I want my character to have on their next adventure? Uh, this isn't like that. It is what situation will I be using this person for over the next so many missions before I cut their head off by accident? And it is, you know, that is a, I think that's probably my favorite part uh, of this game. When I, I mean, when I was playing it you know, months and months ago, I, I was getting into, not probably not as far as Roman has gotten, but into you know, some of the more difficult uh, encounters. And there's a lot of realizing holy crap, I have not optimized this team for this level uh, of encounter. Um, so you go back to doing all the piddly little hunt for squirrel missions and, you know, just to get enough money uh, to get the good equipment, to get enough experience, to get the new powers uh, or the new skills. And it's... It really feels like you are building something, which I don't think enough games give you uh, in mm -hmm. this genre. Yeah, I um, I I definitely found myself taking a certain pride in my mercenary company, uh, and feeling very like it's it's growing competence and the ability to take on bigger and better jobs was was really rewarding. Uh, and I think this is something that a lot of games, um, what like one of my favorite games of all times is is probably Privateer, uh, and then probably Mech Mercenaries. Like this entire mercenary, uh, you know, in a war torn land, uh, you know, making striking it striking it rich, building your fortune. Uh, this is a, this delivers very well on that fantasy. I think that they also do a good job. I, I can't remember when in, in early access they added the um, like the sort of short term goals because initially it was it was super open, like you kind of just yeah just go around and do stuff. Um, but then they introduced those sort of breakpoints where the company kind of goes, "Hey, boss, what should we be doing?" And like if it's like, "Yeah, you got to uh, get twelve guys or get this much money." Um, the first when I got a battle standard, that was a really cool feeling. Like when I finally got a person in my group who was like, "Yep, I got a battle standard. I'm carrying it around. I got my. He can kill people with it. Um, it's got my, you know, the the logo that I chose and everything." Um, it does a really good job, not only of making the the small choices add up, but also does a good job of of uh, sort of goading or encouraging you into accomplishing these uh, sort of milestone objectives that really make you feel like you know you're you're cool dudes now, like you were a bunch of scrubs, but now you're serious business. It helps sort of reinforce what when you feel like you're ready to take the next step and uh, do slightly harder missions. Um, in particular, the one where you're trying to work with the bigger houses. I don't know if Rob and Troy have gotten to those parts yet. No. Um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you talk talk through this a little bit? Because like early on, it implies there's a sort of political, uh, a larger stage uh, that, that you can operate on. But I'm curious what that looks like. It's actually kind of worse. Uh, I... I haven't gotten like fully into the end game with it, but a lot of the missions are super repetitive. Um, the, with the the main missions you you start with, you tend to have three of them, I think, which are hunt down some bad guys, uh, deliver something for us, or um, one other incredibly important type of mission. Uh, 
But then a lot of the kind of noble house missions are just like go on patrol, go to these three cities in a row and fight the orcs off over and over. So I, I'm not sure if there's just like, that's just the first step towards getting towards more interesting stuff. But I do feel like the game does is very early game focused in terms of interesting mission variety. And I think Josh has gotten further than I have. I've seen him getting to the point where he's got magic weapons and stuff, which is, I think when I started taking notice of the game was when he was posting screenshots and the like, so. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't do well in the end game either. Like I just crashed and burned like, and that's actually, I was really happy when they introduced the, um, like, no, I can't remember what they call it. It's like basically the no, no end game event. Um, so you can start and you can have the end games or the, the sort of late game event be randomized or you can pick it. And really for me, it was just anxiety inducing because every, like I tend to build really slowly and I tend to be one of those people kind of like what Troy was saying, where you go like, oh, my, my group is not quite where I want them to be. Let me take some one, you know, one skull or two skull missions for a while to kind of build up my cash and and get my my group in order. And so I take a long time to really get to the point where I have a big robust group. And I can't remember what day the the apocalyptic stuff starts happening. I think it's like day 70 or something. But it always feels like it comes way too soon and I just start flipping out when that arrives. So I was really really happy when they uh So it happens regardless of where you are in your game. I think I believe so. I'm not positive, but I believe it happens at a certain, it starts, it starts happening at around like a certain day. Um, And there might be other conditions that are in there that I'm not aware of, but um, especially the noble, uh, the noble house end game, those fights are insane. And I do think that it tends, it tends to feel like it gets a little more repetitive in the late game. Um, and the fights are incredible endurance tests. Like they're really big, um, especially the noble ones. They can last a long time. Um, in some ways, like one of the things that is nice about the scale and scope of most of Battle Brothers combats is that they're, you know, like a dozen versus a dozen, you know, or, you know, some something below that. And I think it starts to feel uh, the pacing starts to falter quite a bit when you get like, you know, your crew against, you know, like 50 guys, which can sometimes happen. Um, and it's just, it's, there's a lot of waiting. And I think that's a, a weak point of a lot of turn-based games. And it's one that Battle Brothers, for the most part, actually avoids because of the scale and scope of most of their fights. But in the end game, they can get really, really grueling. That's a little nerve wracking. Cause uh, that's definitely some of the, some of these fights are not short. Uh, like uh, even at, even at the early stages of the game I'm playing, like it's sometimes it's like you know twenty or thirty minutes before I even have a good feeling of which way this fight's gonna go, uh, and then like another twenty minutes of of wrapping it up. It really is like uh, you know little you know short form war game scenarios uh, popping up. Something I want to get to is the management side of this a, a little bit more because the other element of this. In addition to developing your soldiers and sort of uh, specializing their equipment and all this is soldiers got to get paid, they got to get fed, um, and they got to be happy. And I actually really enjoyed it. It's not a super like deep or complicated uh, system they've created for this, but 
I did enjoy that it always uh, it kept me honest. Like it, like I I never felt at least in what I played of the game like I was in a position to ever completely forget how my soldiers were feeling, uh, whether or not they're being paid reliably. Because every time you miss a payday, uh, every time your freelancers uh, do not get paid promptly and on time <laughs> and have to run you down for money, their performance declines. Uh, just something to think about. Uh, just something everyone should be aware of. Uh, but every time something bad happens, it has sort of a lingering effect on the morale of your party. Uh, and conversely, like good things that happen will, will have a positive effect. Uh, and then you also have like little story beats, uh, you know, sort of in, in the, in the paradox mold or the, um, uh, in the fail better mold where like you just have these little like story events and you have to decide how you react to them. And that's going to affect how your party feels. Uh, and then there's, you know, other ways to make money. Uh, I, early in the game, did a lot of trading. Uh, I found a, a city full of amber, and I was just running. There was a city of amber on one end of the map, a city of, uh, like, raw iron on the other end of the map, and basically that was my, uh, <laughs> that was my magic route. Uh, so there was a third city. There were a couple other cities that didn't produce either of these items, so I would just sort of, like, do these shuttle runs uh, in this sort of big, big diamond uh, selling to the cities uh, with these raw materials. So that was another aspect of this is, you know, there's other ways to keep your company, uh, you know, in, in the black. And there's a little, there's, you know, there's a little simple commodity trading game uh, in here. I never found that, I maybe wasn't trying so hard because as far as looking for effective you know, trading routes, because it's, uh, it struck me as you know, one of those things you you always put in mercenary games, like Sid Meier's Pirates. You could have been a trader in that, too, but why would you be a trader in Sid Meier's Pirates? It's not, you know, Sid Meier's Merchant Marine. Um, but, you but you know, you could, you know, pick up goods and move them from port to port and make a little bit of money doing it that way. Maybe I just never found a really profitable route that actually made more made some sense, I guess. Maybe I just was very, very unlucky. But I, I mean, you always see, you know, you're, that always tells you, oh, you picked up this wine. Oh, there's wine in this location. I can sell it probably for a profit somewhere else. But then I find they want to pay like a quarter of what I bought the wine for. So how far do I have to go before I find somebody who really likes Bergendorf's wine? It's not um, It's not actually a distance-based thing. It's, it's like a lot of the other random elements where it is really just random. So, yeah. so sometimes you'll you'll get wood and then go to a place and you're like, holy crap, this place is like wood central. Like this is where I got to sell all my wood. Um, it is the sort of thing where you, you like, I, and I didn't really realize it for a long time either. Um, and then, and my, I was talking to some friends at work who were like, oh yeah, I got all my guys and full mail and all this other stuff. I'm like, how the hell, like, what day are you on? And they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, 18 or something or whatever. And I'm like, what, <laughs> how, how did you get that much money for that many guys? And they're like, oh, just trading. So it's something that's kind of subtle and you really, you just have to kind of look for it. Um, what I, what I would do is I would, I would pick up like one of each resource to keep in my inventory so that when I went to a store in any town, if one of those wound up having a really crazy sale price, um, if I remembered where I bought it from, I'd go back and buy a bunch and then just start like raking up the money. But it is it is a subtle thing. It's not something that's really broadcast very clearly. You can also look at the map, like a place you, you hover over the little icons that show, you know, here is a copper mine. So 
that's probably a place to go to get copper. Or oh, yeah, here is an iron yeah. mine that that's the place to go to buy tools to repair all my stuff, which is totally messed up after my 20-minute battle against the zombies. Oh, it's easy to know where to buy stuff. It's not where to sell stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, it The map is also randomized. It's got a sort of German shape to it, and there's a kind of... There's, there's a center of the map, which tends to be um, where the towns are and wilderness around in general, but other than that, it's pretty well random. The game I did to sort of remind myself... Uh, playing here was just a terrible map it was like <laughs> i got screwed like there was a, just a massive mountain range dividing the north from the south that uh made everything take like three days to travel unless it was right next door um and i've had other games where the map is like here is a perfect little um diamond for trading and picking up quests that i never really have to leave it's all very fast to get around and there's always plenty to do um and those have tended to be my best games um so this is it's a another thing to you know add the variety of is this going to be a you know really challenging slog or is this going to be a game where i can get pretty deep into it um and neither of them like feels really bad like they both create their own interesting challenges which i think is uh a pretty positive sign for this game as far as uh you know just maintaining you sort of maintain the the health and fitness of your company does that does that go away like because that was my that was my concern is like in the early stages there's a lot of like company management i found myself doing uh oh no arnulf is well okay arnulf's an asshole uh to be to be honest <laughs> uh so i had this barbarian uh and i kept getting these little barbarian events around arnulf uh who was kind of your just classic berserker dude but first the game is like Maybe this guy doesn't understand the value of your money. Maybe you should cheat him. Uh, and I was like, I'm not cheating him. Uh, but you find him like building little uh, Jenga towers with gold coins. And for a beat there, the game's like, what if you could convince him to trade it back to you for, for Jack Chet? I didn't do that. But I kind of wished I had uh, when uh, Arnulf like, went berserk in a store in town uh, somewhere and just trashed the place and then apparently also started like drawing on it in feces, um, which was a little gratuitous. And the people in that town were like, understandably, you know, what the hell, man? Uh, so I covered, I, I covered the expense. It was quite a bit like, like this was, he wiped out a couple jobs worth of pay uh, with, with his uh, finger painting. And, it tanked that character because like i was like okay i'm paying this off but you're going to work this off like you you the, like you cost us a lot of money it's coming out of your wages and that character took a massive uh hit to his morale and was basically just like sullen and like quick to quick to start routing uh for for the next several battles like this guy who'd been like a frontline beast turned into like one of the most chicken hearted worthless pieces of crap uh, on the battlefield uh, and it was really it was really infuriating but it was kind of a cool thing that that emerged uh, from the story but I am wondering if a lot of those concerns about like making sure everyone's paid uh, making sure everyone's happy if that starts to diminish as you start getting to an end game where I assume resources are more plentiful um, well I will say like so in my opinion, it never really goes away. Um, I mean, you don't worry about it quite as much, but there are a couple of things. One is uh, 
very intelligently, they made food spoils. So you can't really stockpile food infinitely. Um, if you just buy like a billion things of food, that stuff is eventually going to go bad and you're still going to have to go buy more food. So you can only buy so much and keep, keep that stuff stocked for so long. And then the way that equipment tends to escalate in price is such that there's a great temptation to, you know, take 80% of your company's savings to buy a really sweet suit of armor, um, which then puts you down into this range where you're like, ah, I think I can make payroll for a week and a half. Um, and so there, there is a lot of that. I mean, I, like I said, I've only gotten to about like day maybe 80 or something like that. Um, so I don't know about the late, late game. I, I assume that at some point you can kind of just, you know, put the economy over your knee. Um, but for the most part, it holds up. Um, it does a pretty good job in terms of economic scaling. Just talking about the vignettes, this game does have a couple little problems, I think. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite games of the year so far. I think it, it tends to get just, it tends to just feel like the thing it's supposed to be. But there are a couple little issues that I have with it. First is that some of the times you get these characters that you have these great stories with that some of them are embedded and some of them are emergent. Um, but a lot of the time, I think the characters are pretty interchangeable, significantly more so than uh, Darkest Dungeon or an XCOM or other of these tactical strategic games. Uh, like, I have spent a whole lot of time customizing my characters in those other games, or in this game, maybe I'll give them a nickname so I can kind of remember, oh yeah, this is the guy who, you know, was a random monk I picked up who's now my chief frontline fighter. I should give him a nickname that sounds monkey so that I will be sad when he dies instead of him just being Arnold or uh, whatever. Um, the second thing is that I think it has a strong case of the european medieval cruelty thing that a lot of euro games especially seem to have where it's like they they think that if it's in a medieval setting then they can just be you know have little bigoted stories that uh that's just the way they were the back then uh everyone was super duper sexist so they'll just have one of those little vignettes where you know a woman comes out and gets clocked on the side of the head or whatever and uh everyone laughs and um it's so kind of tertiary to the rest of the game that it just kind of feels like oh we can some the writer was just like we can behave badly here let's toss in a few of these because it's like the witcher or game of thrones or whatever and i i just it very easily sick of that kind of low fantasy means i'm allowed to be a sexist thing i do i i personally i would have um I, I felt that I was able to project a lot of personality onto my characters. Um, I think I think one of the one of the kind of addressing two of your points. I think that um, I personally I, I love Battle Brothers, but um, I I really because I love historical games. I kind of was like I wish this were just historical fantasy. I wish this were actually Germany and not fake Germany. Mm -hmm. um, because I think like one of the things with XCOM and not that, not that, you know, even something like Darklands had the most sort of diversity to it, but um, you know, in XCOM, there's really not a lot to the characters, but the nationality of the character is a big part of who they are, um, or at least a big part of how you can kind of project an idea of who that person is onto them. 
Um, whenever you have like a fantasy setting where everything is just sort of vaguely Central European, I think it becomes harder to distinguish those characters. And um, the fact that they're all, all the characters are really um, dudes, you know, they're, they're basically Central European dudes, um, makes them harder to distinguish from each other. And you do get the vignettes. I, I personally like uh, the, especially the variety of, of personality things that they play off and, and backgrounds that they play off in the vignettes. Um, but yeah, it, it can be harder to project personality onto some of the characters, especially if they're not written for. It also seems like the ones who get the most interesting vignettes are the character classes that you end up not really wanting. Um, like uh, you get a robber, an escaped robber on your on your team, and like they have some interesting little things where they're like um, get these story events where people are like, oh, we don't trust him. Oh, maybe he's a good guy or not. But then you get one where like an elite set of guards rides up and says, hey, uh, this guy is a convicted criminal. Give him to us or we'll attack you. And now it's like, okay, do, do I want to fight these dudes in chainmail and plate, or do I want to get rid of one of my best characters? And uh, yeah, so uh, grave robbers are another one. They're not an especially strong uh, kind of base class to get, but they always have some interesting little stories that about, you know, just randomly finding cool stuff. Uh, uh, the best one is probably the peddlers um, or the traders. I don't remember exactly Day which. Detailers? Yeah. No, peddlers. no. Peddlers, no, they're, yeah. they're just right. straight merchants who will occasionally, like, you go into a town, they're like, hey, I have an idea. Give me 100 gold and maybe it'll turn into 400. And uh, that I like to always have one of them in my party, even though they're usually pretty bad fighters. Uh, so some, so of, some of this stuff works. But some of it is uh, somewhat off-putting. Um, but I do think the diversity issue does does show up. Uh, if you go on to like their forums or their old Kickstarter or whatever, uh, like the first question is, are you going to have Battle Sisters? And they're like, we want to. We just have to have all the faces and animations and get the stories right. And uh, I think uh, that would be a thing that would help. In this case... Got to get those animations right. Most of the most of the time, uh, most of the time when a company says that they don't actually have the money for something like that, uh, it seems like total bullshit. In this case, like if you look at how, yeah, how how ramshackle this game actually is, and what they've accomplished with it, I do kind of believe it. Uh, I wish that they had invested more in that kind of thing uh, initially, but. Uh, I don't know. They're, I mean, the, the the figures are little pixel art busts. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know they're, how much of a reach it, it would have been. They're pretty high quality, though. Those faces, as ridiculous as they look on those bodies, <laughs> are are some pretty top tier pixel art. Okay. Well, I mean, something else too is that one of the reasons, because I know a lot of, I've heard a lot of criticism over the art style, but. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a designer, but when I looked at them, I realized why they sort of did what they did. It's a very efficient way of displaying sort of like the, the combat states of those characters. And they built their faces and their bodies in such a way that they can, you know, swap out a damaged eye or, you know, like all these other little things. Like you can see all that stuff actually on the character. Um, yeah. So if you said like, hey, by the way, let's make a bunch of 
you know, women's bodies and heads, like that's a mul- that's a multiplicative problem. Um, like that's a, that's a big expense. So I kind of get it. Um, like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I would love to see, you know, it's, it's sort of like the Darklands dream, like, because I was a huge Darklands fan and I remember reading in the Darklands manual, Arnold Hendricks said, you know, like, yeah, we're going to make more games. We're going to go to Italy and France and all over the place. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to play all these guys and, you know, battle brothers. I'm like, we're going to go to different parts of this fantasy world. We're going to have battle sisters and all this other stuff. And sadly, no. Well, and I just like, I haven't seen a lot of, uh, like all my battle bros are are are, are, are white bros, uh, some more ruddy complexioned than others. But like it's it's like what how this game sort of like chooses its default and sticks to it um, is I don't know troubling would be probably too strong a word, but like I don't know I'm just not that into okay so. Basically, the the argument that well it, they're they're a small studio and resources are limited, so how could they be expected to do more than the default? But then you look in what that assumed default is. What that default is says a lot about your worldview and your values to an extent. And there's like Battle Brothers is not is not a particularly is not a game that uh, seems like it's paying a great deal of attention or mind to. Uh, representation uh and you know and that's not really to be to be fair these issues like the game doesn't really speak to a lot of those issues except that you know rowan it does also have that low fantasy uh you know grim darkness where you know misogyny you know this is a misogynist era uh and and so that's that's what that's what we're representing uh here that that aspect does uh bother me a little bit uh not least because i would also just like to be able to tell my soldiers apart without like choosing their headgear (laughs) Uh, for like, okay, like the tanky dudes wear the purple leather caps. Uh, like it would be nice if there were, if there was a little more personality and diversity that could also let me, uh, visually sort out, uh, who's yeah. doing what on uh, the battlefield. Yeah, but, 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 go ahead. That's the, that's the XCOM thing. I mean, like with XCOM, that's not a problem. Like I can, I can have this spectrum of people that look just at a glance. I mean, there are other things I can distinguish them, but like. I can have women, I can have men, I can have people with different skin colors. Like it's, there's a lot more to distinguish those characters. Um, and so that's, that's not a problem. Um, and it, yeah, it does get rough, especially when you got a lot of people wearing helmets and heavy mail. They're like, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the guys. It's the, <laughs> it's the vaguely German guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and this is, this is part of why I, I do kind of believe them when they say they don't have the, the resources because like they're they're not they're clearly not investing in different colored armors you can't uh every battle brothers team that gets to a certain point like the the chain mail point is going to look roughly the same um and that's uh that's not a great thing it's a, it's the sort of thing that i would like i would like to have seen a sequel to take care of and this kind of goes into a news post they did uh about a month ago where they said that they were basically done with this game. They were releasing their final patch. They thought it was in pretty good shape, but they couldn't do anything more with the the engine that they had put together, and they're moving on to a new system. Um, which uh, a lot of these kind of XCOM likes uh, have expansions. They have constant updates. Um, 
and so on. And this game, you know, obviously had that when it was in early access. It was in early access for about a year, maybe even longer. Uh, but once it hit full release in May, they 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 felt like they couldn't go much further with it, which I feel like, you know, Battle Brothers 2 would have been a fantastic kind of... Uh, a lot of potential because the core systems i think were working really well here and it needed just a lot more variety and diversity and all the things that you know sequels tend to have or they they add in all the so, um, new stuff you might have wanted are they so they're done with battle brothers but are they done with the series like are they not going to iterate on this design they, they said it's not battle brothers 2 um hmm. They, but they did say also that the next game will be will probably look good to people who like this game. Um, okay. Uh, there's a, a little picture they have of like their next set of people, and it looks like they're kind of a modern military thing. So mm-hmm. uh, we might get you know Battle Brothers 1980s or something like that. But I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I would love to have seen you know with the money and experience this this game kind of move on yeah. to the next level because right now it feels like a great idea that would be one of my favorite games after a little bit more yeah and i i mean it's it's hard too because like i you know i know that development can be rough at times um and the opportunity cost of doing one thing versus another can be a, a great stress on a studio especially a small studio so as much as I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, why don't you guys just do Battle Brothers 2? Like, I have no idea what their financial situation is like. I don't know what opportunities they have or things that they want to explore. So um, I, I am happy that it was well received. Um, I hope that they made enough money to have a good foundation for whatever they go on to, because um, I'm. it's really impressive for, for a studio's first game to be this solid mechanically is, I think, really great. So I think for like for me, I, I was really delighted uh, by this game. Like I was, I was I was really grateful that you you pushed us to to play this game and do the show, uh, Rowan, because this absolutely is one of my favorite like uh, turn based tactical games, tactical RPGs uh, in ages. Uh, it, it really is a terrific one of those, and really mixes together a lot of my favorite elements. Like you know. Again, a uh, little bit mech, mech mercenaries, a little bit Mountain Blade, a uh, little bit XCOM. Uh, it's it's really a pretty great variety pack, and I, I think it's 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 an easy recommendation. Uh, I guess I am a little bummed that uh, there's it's it sounds like the, that experience is not going to grow into a sequel, uh, which which is too bad. But I'm I'm pretty damn happy with what's there uh troy I'm, I'm i'm curious where 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 have you come out on this did the fact that you're a bad battle brother uh or a bad battle dad i guess as it were <laughs> uh sour you at all on this no no i think it's a i think it's it's delightful um it's the kind of game that i could easily find myself spending you know an entire day with uh just throwing myself into it and you know feel losing but losing in new and creative ways um I've seen parts of the mid game and I want to get up there again. I, 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 I like the randomness. I, I don't play at the veteran level. I, I stick pretty much to the beginner level, uh, because I don't, cause I do want to start with, you know, a, a chance of getting to level four, which I probably wouldn't if I had to start with what, 500 gold instead of 2000. Um, 
it is the art style is something I'm still not reconciled to. There's a lot of talk here about the art. I I, it, I think it's I understand that it's important to be able to visualize all of the damage and all of the wounds and all of the scars of your terribly terribly broken people. Um, um, and I do like, you know, the conceit that it's just, you know, they're like Roman busts moving along uh, the, the the ground. You just have you know, the, the chest up and whatever their weapon is. So that, that kind of works. And the paper doll effect is nice, too. Uh, but it's, you know, the I'm, I'm with, you know, I'm with the let's have more variety in faces category. I mean, let's have not everybody with the same. I mean, the, the faces are all pretty much the same. They just kind of change the hair, I think. Uh, and maybe the noses, um, so th that that is an issue. But but and it's and it's sometimes enough to turn me off. I'm just get tired of looking. I think the terrain is where the art could actually be done a little bit better. I think you know that's probably my biggest issue with the art more than the, the busts. But I do think it is a absolute gem of a game, and it's available. I think it's what forty dollars or something, or maybe thirty five in the U.S. I have, I have Canadian prices up here, so I can't tell. It's forty here in Canada. Uh, on Steam, and I, I'm, it's a game that people have asked me about. Are we doing a show on it? Are we doing a show on it? And I said, yeah, I think we want to do a show on it, but you know, we got to find some people who are really, really into it because I wouldn't be the only one. I'm glad that I'm really, I'm really glad you pushed for this. Uh, I think it's a game that a lot of people, people who play it, are really, really into it, but I'm not sure when people actually know about it. I think this is one of those games that if more people knew about it, there'd be a hell of a lot more people playing it because because it is really is one of those like. Well, if you you know if you've enjoyed things like uh, you know like XCOM or like Darkest Dungeon, like there's a lot of that in here uh, that that I think will really click with you. So I, I think this is a game that uh, there's a much wider potential audience out there for it. I think than than maybe it's found uh, if they're willing to look past the um, you know the the, the somewhat limited uh, palette uh, palette of the game, uh, including yeah, it's it's a very olive drab. Uh, mud brown uh, kind of game. It's very, uh, it, it's very uh, like rainy German forest uh, colored all the way through. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it, uh, and maybe, I can't wait until maybe, I'm good enough maybe, to. Maybe this speaks to my Steam's friend list, but I have 22 friends who play Battle Brothers, and I have 27 friends who play Dominion's Four. More, <laughs> more people are going to like and get into Battle Brothers and Dominion's Four, which is an outstanding game. Don't get me wrong, but Battle Brothers, I think, is something everyone can get into. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> um, so, so what's your favorite Battle Brothers uh, crew name? I was looking through my save games, and I saw that my last one before I had uh, uh, started my refresher game was the Shit Crusaders. I was pretty happy wow. with that one. okay. <laughs> and there's a bunch named after my cats. I have uh, my current group are the Tain Orbs, and then my previous group were the Oats Brothers with umlauts, based off of the <laughs> the meme with the pigs. So the Oats Brothers are actually my favorite ones. That's good. Did you guys get into that at all? No, I'm not creative no. enough for that. <laughs> uh, I did, but all mine were basically uh, Boston sports uh, references. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the, the green monsters died at the hands of a necromancer. Uh, the the Galavan Boulevardiers uh, did, uh, fared pretty poorly uh, in their engagement with orcs. 
and the Dorchester Bruins, uh, the most generically named of the bunch, are are, are thriving and, and prospering. Uh, That's so, good for them. yeah, happy ending for them. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced this week by To Be Determined. Uh, and it's hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemsahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, Threemsahead Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, uh, my thanks to Josh for spending part of a Saturday uh, talking about this game with us. Uh, and can't wait to have you back to discuss uh, whatever else you might be into, Josh. Uh, until next week, for Rowan and Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.